welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. In today's podcast, we feature an episode from Ask a Painter Live with Nick Slavic. Hey everybody, happy Saturday. Nick Slavic here. Uh, this is Ask a Painter Live. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful Saturday here in Minnesota. Uh, we're, we're starting a little bit later today uh, because I'm going to do a little painting project for you guys here. Uh, so this is the Ask a Painter live show. It's a weekly live uh, Facebook show where I use my over uh, two decades, almost three now, of uh, experience to answer any of your questions. We can talk about whatever you want. Uh, coding science, paint business entrepreneurship, uh, the human condition, whatever you like. That's what this thing is here for. So um, this is episode number 290. We've been doing this for over five years and I am deeply grateful. Oh, paint on my finger. Deeply grateful uh, for all your viewing. Uh, the kindest thing you can do for a show uh, like this is to share it so we get more like-minded people on here. So today we're gonna to talk about a few things. Uh, we're getting towards the end of the year. This is a very introspective time of the year for me. Uh, first off, we're gonna hit on some brand new stuff from Purdy, and I'm gonna paint a little bit of trim in my war room here, and uh, this is a really fun thing. So our, our entire house here, um, is uh, you know beautiful finish. Uh, we have uh, beautiful enamel and all this trim and woodwork and stuff here. And occasionally, uh, when people send me things to test, uh, I will test them because most of this is beautifully professionally sprayed. Uh, I will actually get in here with brushes and stuff and do a little test to see how smooth we can get stuff. And you're gonna like this. Uh, we could mimic a sprayed finish with uh, some of the stuff I'm gonna show you here today. So, um, all right. Uh, first off, PCA, the Painting Contractors Association. Um, I got introduced to this group five or six years ago. I actually just reposted a, a deeply thoughtful thing that I wrote right after my first expo because I had no idea who these people were, what was going on, and I was blown away. I was completely surprised. Um, I, I grew up in a trades business where every other painter was the enemy. And that was a very, very um, ignorant, very regressive way of thinking about this. I showed up to this place where people with businesses at that point, about 70 times larger than mine, put their arm around me, taught me everything I needed to know, coached me up on what a business owner, a leader, an entrepreneur does, and it has been absolutely wonderful since then. My impression, the one takeaway I want you guys to know about that is it is the most interesting group of just humans that I've ever been around. They happen to be paint business owners. They happen to be master craftspeople. It is absolutely wonderful. If you want to join us and them, all the people who inspire me, there's a thing called the PCA Expo, the exposition. And uh, that is happening in early March. Uh, I am taking my entire leadership team there because I want them to witness what I've witnessed uh, every year. It's been two years since we've done one of these because COVID and a global pandemic shut us down. So it is back, folks. You're gonna love this. It is three days at least, uh, a large portion of a week of member-driven content. People like me, people like Jason Paris, people like all the thought leaders, the Zach Kennys, the Dustin Zapanzics uh, of, of our industry, presenting topics from their business in real time uh, to us. 
and for, for peer review. It's a wonderful thing. Of course, there are things like the trade show where you're going to be able to see people like Purdy there, uh, our friends at Purdy. And uh, it's a wonderful thing, folks. You, you don't want to miss it. There are amazing get-togethers in the evenings hosted by all the biggest paint, thing, uh, uh, paint manufacturers. And that's the time where you take all that content that you learn from the day and decompress at night with your peers. So I will tell you this. It is a thing, right? It's in Orlando. You got to take some time off from work. You got to get a plane ticket. You got to get a hotel and you got to attend the thing. But I have never, ever spoken to one person who went to this that said, eh, eh we'll see. It was okay. Every single person was just like, oh, I got so much to do. So many new thoughts, so many new people. I got all these contacts now. I don't even know where to start. I got, I filled a notebook full of notes and that is interesting. Uh, I actually have uh, my notebook from, from, I take the same notebook, the little leather bound notebook uh, to all the expos and uh, events that I go to and take my notes. And I was looking at my notes a couple weeks ago. And at that time when I took those notes, I was completely overwhelmed. I was like, oh my God, the road ahead of me is a million miles long. And uh, I started taking the first steps. And now when I look back, I have checked off almost everything that I laid out ahead of me. Like, oh my God, that's what a real business does. Let's do this. It's so fun to look at that notebook and see all the things we've accomplished with consistency and discipline. And uh, yeah, right there, discipline equals freedom. All the discipline that we uh, in, imbued in the, in the business here and we start checking those things off. So long way around saying, join me in Orlando in March. It's gonna be awesome. You will not be disappointed. I can guarantee you that. So today we're gonna talk about uh, some new stuff from Purdy. Then we're going to talk about uh, two things. Uh, we had our company Christmas party last night, and I'm going to tell you all the fun stuff that happened, uh, kind of a short little year uh, recap. Uh, and then I am actually going to decompress and give you some feedback and some takeaways that I had from an entire year of recruiting. Uh, I just did last week 54 phone interviews uh, and dug through about maybe 100 or 150 applicants for a, for a job position we have. And I'm going to give you some thoughts and some takeaways. And uh, there's going to be some things that surprise you in there. Uh, legitimately, people complain, you know, biggest problem is there's no good people out there. Uh, you guys know I'm not a firm uh, believer in that at all. We have tons of good people here. But things are changing. And I'm going to tell you exactly what I feel is changing. But first, let's paint something. So uh, from Purdy, they got brand new stuff, folks. Um, the things you see today, I have a link in here. You can go right to uh, the Purdy page and check these things out. Uh, Purdy, as you know, has been around almost 100 years. 1925, they started making brushes. I have been to the factory. I have seen the people that, you know those little stickers? Those little guys? I have seen and shaken the hands of those people there. There are some people there that have been doing this for decades, uh, doing the final hand touches on all these brushes. And uh, it is an amazing thing. They are the basis of my entire business. Uh, we, we basically, uh, you know, between exterior painting, interior wall, and then trim and enameling, that's what we use, folks. That's it. So Purdy came out with some brand new stuff uh, for their line of cub brushes. Cub brushes are these little cuties, the cutest brushes you can get. Well, I shouldn't say that, the cutest production brushes you can get. Uh, these things are serious tools, but they got a little more shorter uh, ergonomic handle. They got that nice little, so people are usually familiar with kind of the beaver tail where it's kind of flat and stuff. This has a little more mass on it like that. And two major uh, ways you can use something like this. Uh, I see uh, some people use it like this. I, I find myself doing that once in a while too. I'm more of a kind of hold the ferrule kind of guy. Not, not choking all the way 
toy up on it like this, but I'm normally, it sits so well in your hand like this, where right in the little crook there, right in that muscle that all painters get right here, uh, that oyster right there, uh, it sits so perfectly right there and sits in your hand like this. Three new brushes from them, all available in two inch. There is the clear cut, which we know and love. There is the clear cut elite, which I took out of the package to show you guys. You can see the clear cut elite on there. And then you guys know my personal favorite, Nylox. These things are bad boys. And I am actually gonna do some painting in my war room with this here. So what do we use these things for, right? So honestly, you can use these things for a lot of things, but they are specifically made for a couple things. The clear cut is a nylon polyester blend of brushes. And obviously you know what you're gonna get, clear cut. It gives you razor sharp lines. It's stiff enough to be able to, you know, work it over textured walls and things like that, but soft enough where craftspeople know what I'm talking about. When you run a brush over something like this, you want it stiff enough so that you can actually press some paint in there. But if it's too stiff, it, the, br the bristles won't conform uh, to all the little dips and dives of, of cut lines and things like that. So soft enough, uh, flagged and tipped at the end so that you can actually get in there and cut a good line. And that's the secret of a good brush. Uh, the Clear Cut Elite, which I'm holding here, is basically the Clear Cut, but it's Elite, it's stiffer. It's stiffer. So these, uh, where would you use a really stiff brush? So uh, the stiffer a brush, the more I like to use it for exterior stuff, uh, to really, really muscle it in there. Uh, they, they last a little longer outside because you're really applying a lot of muscle. Uh, also, a lot of the new uh, water-based or low VOC, zero VOC paints, that stuff really works well with this too. Uh, a, a lot of the people knee-jerk react to, well, it's low VOC, let's use a nice delicate brush. And those paints are actually kind of heavy bodied. So sometimes uh, the low VOC, zero VOC kind of, you know, eco-friendly paints, that's a really good one. Get a little bit stiffer brush there. And of course, Nylox, 100% nylon, tipped and flagged at the end. I'll open up this guy for you. This is my personal favorite. These things I have produced finishes in this room, in our shop, over the whole bunch of years here, where you can do uh, just about a sprayed finish uh, in, in, a, in a talented hand if you're using the right coating, right substrate. These things are absolutely wonderful. This is my go-to fine finishing brush. Uh, beautiful, beautiful soft bristles. But again, it's not about being soft because otherwise we would use badger fur, badger hair, or ox hair, you know, the stuff that's just super, super wispy that sometimes we use for fine oils and things like that. That's too soft is not good because you do want enough stiffness to where the finish will actually lay off like this, you know, get in the pores and things like that. But also you want it, you know, you want it stiff enough to move the stuff around. If you've ever tried like a badger hair brush, uh, for some nice, beautiful, thin oils, they work perfectly. But if you're trying to move around a nice, heavy-bodied enamel, you really do need a little bit of that stiffness that comes from up here, right by the ferrule, uh, and then that beautiful tipped and flagged ends uh, at the bottom there. So wonderful, wonderful brush, folks, and they are a pleasure, uh, an absolute pleasure to use. So I'm going to brush a piece of casing here for you guys because uh, I feel like painting something. And uh, it's a wonderful day here uh, in the war room. And let's brush some casing. Super self-conscious that there is a picture of me right here too. So I'm gonna to try to cover this up. That's a poster from Brazil in 2018 that they gave me. So pretty paint pail right here. Load up a little of this guy. And of course it's a, it's a brand new brush. And this one was actually made by Angelina. Angelina, thank you so much. Wonderful little brush. So obviously with cub brushes, uh, I'm just warming it up and getting some paint worked into the bristles because you know, you don't just take one dip and put it on there. 
Um, these brushes, shorter handle, obviously, if we're doing fine finishing, uh, if we're doing uh, tight spots with baseboard, stairs, things like that, insides of cabinets, boy, can you imagine a better thing than this? In the past, I'm sorry, Purdy, this might be sacrilege, but I have cut the dang handles off these things to get into those little mail slots, wine racks, and things like that, uh, to the point where, you know, you just have basically the ferrule and a nub so you can get in there and just move the enamel around like that. And uh, yeah, all those little weird tight spots. I know that we're, we're given a whole bunch of weird stuff in these kitchens sometimes, so, uh, okay. Brushing some casing. This stuff is, I know you're not gonna see the finer points of this stuff, but these uh, bristles, when it comes up against that fillet right here, they make the razor sharpest line you can possibly get. It's just a beautiful thing to behold. So what I'm going to do, my standard process for enameling is to get it on and then tip it off at the end. And this enamel gives me enough working time where I can do that. So my first initial application is usually a little bit of haphazard brush strokes because it's important to get this stuff on razor sharp, cutting right up against this plate rail here. And when brushing, and I, what I like to do is actually get a ton on. So I, one of the things that I see is um, like DIYers and people who don't have a lot of experience, they don't put enough on. <laughs> you you want to put this on, obviously there's a, uh, a wet mill, dry mill recommendation uh, to put it on, but most people don't use a gauge. I put it on basically until it will until it will start sagging. And with enamels, it's a whole other game because they stay, well, the enamels that I use, they stay wet or open, as I would call it, just long enough to level out. That's the key of a good enamel. And then obviously when you brush casing like this, the bristles wrap around the outside a little bit. So one of the things that I do is I just tip it off that edge so we don't get a sag on the other side of those things and then give it one more on the edge here. So enamel has a really interesting sort of like uh, way of creeping, you know? When you brush a whole bunch of beautiful casing, whether it's old stuff or new stuff, you kind of, you know, brush it on like this, you tip it off, and enamel sometimes tends to creep towards the edge, and then it will actually turn the corner and start dripping down the other way. So that's why, you know, when, when people miss, they always miss on the edges there. Nobody ever does a poor job in the middle of a piece of casing. It's always on this end and that end. So let me set this guy down uh, and then I will, I'll give you guys a little shot here. I know you can see the light on there, but look at that stuff, man. And I'll show you, get out of here. So this piece of casing actually here, let's see if I can get a good light shot. This piece right here was brushed. Same thing with my Nylox like this. I don't know if we're gonna be able to see a good, yeah, but that is, that's a beautiful finish, folks. Uh, that is super rewarding to do too. So if that thing, it'll probably dry or at least tack up by the time we're done here and then I, maybe I can show you again. All right, so as always, people, uh, you can ask any question you want. We can talk about any topic you like. Uh, but I thought I would give you guys a little recap of uh, company Christmas party uh, and then give you some kind of takeaways and some deep thoughts I had about recruiting. 
and things like that. So uh, the, the crowning sort of social achievement, uh, and I see a couple uh, of our craftspeople watching today, the crowning achievement of our social calendar uh, in the, every year is our holiday party that we have. And uh, I think we've been doing it for, I think three years, four years now, in a big kind of formal way. And uh, so what we do is we, uh, we have great partners down at Giesenbrau Brewery. I think they call it Giesenbrau. Uh, I'm a Czech guy, so I don't, I don't speak the German very well, but <sighs> Giesenbrau is our local brewery. It is an amazing place. Local people make an amazingly good beer. Um, they they uh, trusted us with hand painting the blue and white uh, Giesenbrau sign up on a brick building, which is super high risk, high reward stuff. Uh, a couple years ago and uh, yeah they've been great um, great partners with us uh, we have a monthly happy hour there where we bring friends and family uh, to the brewery and we have some food we open up a tab and people just you know decompress a little bit on Thursday nights that's kind of our Friday but the Christmas party was great uh, we partnered with uh, Etlin's Cafe too which is a, uh, a local from scratch cafe which honestly folks it I'm afraid to mention their name. I'm afraid of getting the word out because uh, once uh, <laughs> it's busy there, they, they run an amazing business. But if people really knew what they were doing there, there would be uh, 100 people in line every day. Uh, they are, uh, Christina and Ulrich, the owners, are amazing at what they do. I dare you to find something on that menu that doesn't blow your mind. They have catered um, our Christmas party for a couple years and our favorite, of course, me being kind of uh, Czechoslovakian and Bohemian, we love the pork dumpling and sauerkraut. And that's what we always request from them. That's a traditional uh, Czech meal that I grew up with. I mean, it's not just Czechoslovakian, obviously, you know, that Eastern Europe uh, sort of thing, but it is awesome. They roast all the pork, they hand make all the potato dumplings, you know, the knedliki like this, and the gravy and the sauerkraut and everything else, and it is wonderful. Um, so the general idea is, you know, we work a four-day week, work week, but we did it on a Friday night uh, so that people aren't rushing home from work. Uh, we go about five to 10, give or take. Uh, five to six is social hour. Uh, people show up. Um, my wife uh, got all the decorations there and, and we'll post some pictures. It's an amazing thing. We covered all the papers there with floor, uh, all the tables with floor paper there too. Uh, uh, one of the best dudes on earth, Estimator Andy, uh, came in Friday afternoon to help. He's, he's, a, he's a master craftsman himself, so he was masking all the tables, and we had the centerpieces and markers all over the table for people to draw. And uh, my wife's always good. She always thinks about the things I don't, which is the kids' table. Uh, there's all sorts of activities to keep the kids busy uh, for people who bring the kids. It is a family thing. Uh, we had great, all our suppliers were there. We had uh, the Simon family uh, from our local Ace Hardware, who's a Benjamin Moore supplier there. Sherwin came uh, in force and they actually surprised us and brought um, 30 gift bags for all the employees that were there. All sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, the sunglasses, the phone chargers, the can cool. I mean, it's just, that, that was a huge surprise for me. Uh, that was a wonderful thing. So five to six social hour, uh, six o'clock we eat. And then, uh, you know, 45 minute, minutes into it, I kind of, uh, when you, know, you see kind of people at the end of eating, uh, I, I do my uh, annual year in review and I'll post some numbers later, but I actually calculate uh, how many labor hours we worked this week, how many clients we helped, how many miles of tape. I think we used 300 miles of tape this year, uh, something like that, 306, 308 miles of tape, which would basically be... Um, from New Prague, Minnesota, all the way to the Canadian border. <laughs> uh, one single line of tape. Uh, I calculate the amount of gallons we use. Uh, I think it was over 7,000 gallons of paint this year. 
um, and all sorts of fun stuff like that. Like even, I even calculate our, um, our uh, Slack usage. Slack is a messaging app. I think we sent over 40,000 uh, messages uh, between all of us on our Slack thread this year. Um, yeah, I do a year in review where I go over that stuff. I kind of uh, let people know how grateful I am for all we've accomplished this year. I give them a little sneak peek into some of the initiatives we're doing in 2022. And then we go on to the award ceremony. Uh, that is a wonderful thing. So uh, actually, let me see. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I got one right here. Hold tight. So in years past, um, we, we really... I'm big into meaningful things, right? So I want things that are beautiful. I want things that have meaning. And uh, this is one of them. <coughs> this is a painter tool bottle opener. And yeah, fine, painter tool bottle opener, cool, right? But this is hand forged uh, in a historic way out of iron by one of our uh, summer guys, uh, Logan Beeren. He's a young guy, uh, excuse me. <coughs> He's a young guy going to college and he does this for fun. So you can see that beautiful sort of like hand forged sort of thing and uh, very cool. Uh, in years past, this is really cool too. We had uh, Asha Bazanson, uh, a master craftsperson herself who lives in Northern Minnesota, we talk often. Uh, one of the greatest apprentices craftspeople to ever work in this company, but she was a glass blower. And I don't know if you guys can see this, but it, she actually uh, engraved NSPRC on there and uh, a little paintbrush on the side, but she hand blew these glass things. These were awards uh, a whole bunch of years ago. So <coughs> we are into meaningful things. Every one of the awards, he actually took these things and hand stamped the name of the award on here and we awarded them to people. So we have the five core values of the company. We award one for people who each uh, sort of exhibit that. Um, we got a whole bunch of kind of very specific goofy awards. You know, we have like, uh, and, and then there's the big ones, which is, you know, the MVP, the most valuable painter, the big producer of the year. Uh, the final crowning achievement is the Cody, the craftsman of the year, craftsperson of the year. And uh, uh, a young, super, super good guy, uh, Fresh Alex. We got a couple of Alexes, so we call the, the younger one Fresh Alex, but he won it this year, a master. We actually turned in a couple of his award, uh, his uh, projects for awards this year. And uh, I nominated him for Craftsman of the Year with the Painting Contractors Association as well. Uh, he's a uh, his hard charger, man. He deserves it. But it's really good to show your gratitude towards uh, towards everybody there. We we invite all of our seasonal people, all of our part time. We even had past employees come. Uh, one of them is a police officer in a neighboring town, and he messaged the day of, like, "Hey, can I, can I come and bring my wife?" Like, of course you can. It's so good to see him again. So, yeah, it was great, guys. And it's it's honestly there is. Everybody who, who is involved with our little freedom machine understands I'm grateful, but it's good to show it sometimes too. Um, one of the things we did too, and I don't have one here, but um, I put together a, uh, a little gift uh, for everybody in the company. And it was a really cool kind of, uh, you know, a Dickies uh, lunchbox, kind of in the tan that we all know and love. It's a really cool kind of canvasy thing. I put in my mugs. I don't have a mug here either, but uh, those face mugs that I give people, there was one in there. <clears throat> uh, gift card, artisan chocolate, a custom t-shirt just for this party, just for this company, uh, that sort of thing. Some inside jokey things uh, uh, as well, but uh, I thought it was good to put something together. And then, of course, Sherwin surprised us with those, with those gift bags too. So, um, man, it was a great night. Uh, I absolutely love it. I love seeing everybody's family too. 
And uh, we have the happy hours, lots of people come to those, but we don't get everybody. On this one, we basically get everybody, which is really cool. So <coughs> I would urge you in some way to, to show recognition. And it's not just with free food or beer or things like that. It's, it's genuine recognition to your people because uh, it is what good leaders do uh, for people that earn it. And these people have really earned it. So, all right. Um, boy, what a year of recruiting, huh? On my job description, I am the company's recruiter. Um, we actually had uh, a young high-speed National Guard soldier, college student, uh, who is kind of recruiter slash trainer, but he keeps getting deployed. Uh, so I've kept that on my, uh, uh, my job description. And we've done about four or five rounds of recruiting this year. Um, I am big into building teams. Uh, I'm big into finding decent human beings. As you guys know, we operate under the decent human being theory. And honestly, I don't ever stop looking for people. Um, the demand for what we do is abnormally high. Uh, compared to what we're used to and there's not enough people in our company to do the things that we need to do and to help the clients We need to help so I constantly keep um, what you would consider like a farm team or uh, That search for decent human beings out there um, Because it does take a while for people to get trained up in our very specific ways to do things at our standard so we kind of have to keep people rolling in there so four to five rounds of recruiting it's likely I've personally talked to over 200 people on the phone and interviewed them that way. Typical process of my company is to put an ad out in some very specific places that says some very specific things. If you guys have uh, seen any of my social media in the last month, I put out some, uh, some videos that basically lay out my theory about how working has changed and, and people are changed and we think about work differently. And I would, t I would certainly tell you to reference those. That, that's a, gonna be a really good summary of this whole conversation. But, Data plus feelings, right? The feelings is there's no good people out there. It's hard to it's hard to recruit. It's hard to um, find good people. The data is it's not, um, and the reason the reason that it is hard right now is because we're basically doing everything uh, like we've been doing it for forty years, where you put an ad out for an experienced painter, must lift fifty pounds, must have tools, must have experience, must 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 a whole list of musts. That's not inspiring. Um, and it wouldn't inspire me, so why would it inspire somebody that I want to do this with? And surprisingly, not surprisingly, we're getting no results. And, but people are surprised constantly. Like, hey, I checked the box. I did the thing that everybody else does with no results, and I got no results too. It's like, yeah, that's exactly what you should expect, uh, something like that. So you got to do something different, and right now it kind of doesn't matter. You need to speak to people. Um, I, I have zeroed in this year after all these interviews on, a, very, on a, bu a bunch of very specific things that my company's been doing for a long time, but now I'm just very intentional about being a loudmouth about it, which is empathy. Um, the big leadership and humanistic takeaway that I have from this entire year is we are empathetic. I need to be more empathetic, truly. Not just blind, ignorant empathy, for everybody, but for the people who really deserve it and the people who want to be part of this. Um, I really need to break myself to be empathetic. It was a great leadership lesson years ago where um, the second in command in my business, Howie, she basically told me, Nick, you know what? When you're happy, um, your people produce better and they're happier and they treat our clients better and they generally like everything better. And it's like, it's a good point. I, I grew up in a trades business where there was just grumpy old dudes screaming at us all the time. And I stayed, um, and I thought that's what a leader did, you know? 
uh, kind of shamed and guilted people into stuff. And I led my business initially uh, for a whole bunch of years like that, uh, but I do not anymore. Um, so for the last bunch of years, we've been really zeroing in on, <sighs> I need to be more empathetic and I'm still working. I feel like I haven't got there yet. I feel like it's, it's still in route. It's hard to shake that old stuff. I was trained in an old school way where basically I was yelled at. I, I had, I had broke myself in this trade for 11 years before somebody told me, good job. Um, that will not work anymore. <laughs> Absolutely. So people think about work differently now and people bring up work-life balance a lot. They bring up time with family a lot. So do I. For those of you who know us, we do a four-day work week. So specifically, we can have 50% more weekend to spend with family. Um, a decade ago, I used to think those were weak-willed people who kept bringing up, you know, the family time, the, the, the hobbies, the things like that. And, and my sort of thinking was, well, you're not going to devote your life to this thing? Forsake everything else? Martyr yourself for this? You must not be serious. You must not want this opportunity. That's not healthy. That wasn't healthy for me, and it's not healthy for anybody else. I used to... Even a decade ago, people used to be afraid to bring up family and hobbies because the interviewer would then possibly think that you're not as serious, that your head's not in this, that you're not going to devote your entire life to this, whatever we're doing. Boy, um, it's changed now, especially after the pandemic. I'm, uh, I've been reading every single thing I can about the Great Resignation. Last month... 2.8% of the entire United States workforce quit their job, which if, if I'm not wrong, I think that is the largest amount of people in one month who have ever quit their jobs <laughs> in the history of them following that. So it's a really unique thing. Um, people are thinking different about work. I mean, even just working from home now, initially when the, when the pandemic hit, people were like, hey, great, working from home, this is awesome. But it presented a whole bunch of other challenges because your kids were home too. And now what about childcare? What about school? I think all of us took for granted what great resources schools were to basically for free, not only take care of your kids, but teach them in a world-class way. And when that did not happen in the same way, I think we all got a little shaken a bit. Um, a lot of people got laid off during the global pandemic. Um, and I think these things that we take for granted, like even supply chain shortages, I don't think we should take for granted anymore. And what probably was a change in the workforce or the mindset of the workforce that was gonna happen over three to eight years happened in one year. It got expedited because of the global pandemic. So <sighs> I think it's different now. I think a lot of people are okay with not working as much as they used to. The one thing I will tell you though is that the knee-jerk reaction is all oh, these lazy people in unemployment, uh, people just want something for free. They do not. Um, there's always going to be a subset of our economy, of our workforce that are unemployable because of some reason. Um, there's going to be people who are just troublemakers. That's never going to go away. But there are millions and millions and millions of people out there who do want to do this. And I will tell you this. It's not even a theory anymore. I believe this to be absolutely true, which is when tradespeople say there's no good people out there, I will tell you that these good people, these decent human beings are looking at you and they're not liking what they see. They're seeing unprofessionalized, grumpy, hard charging, people who make snap judgments. There's no processes, there's no systems. 
There's no inspiration. There's no vision for what this is. There's no training. There's no onboarding. There's no job description. There's no employee manual. People come in and they want to be comforted by a business. They want to know that there's something in place bigger than them so that if the, if the boss takes a week off, the business doesn't fall into chaos. So yeah, we need to be better, honestly. These people are out there. Uh, and, and more every day. I think there's 162 million people in the United States workforce. And when I hear people say, I can't find one good person, I would say, you're not trying. You're not trying enough. You're not putting enough effort forth. Um, hundreds and hundreds of interviews this year. The one through line for everything is, initially, it starts off like this. I usually ask a series of very specific questions to, to shake people from standard interview questions. And one of them that I like to use is, you know, what could your current job or last job have done differently to make you happier, more satisfied? And honestly, without exception, I have never, I mean, five people out of 200 will say, listen, I could use a little more pay in that job, but it's always followed up with also, I was a cog. Nobody knew my name. I wanted to contribute to the success of this company. I wanted to help them grow. I wanted to improve processes here. And it fell on deaf ears. Or even worse, I gave them all this input after they asked for it and they did nothing with it. People don't feel connected. They stagnate. And then what happens is these businesses are using these people up. They find somebody who's effective and doesn't cause a lot of hassle, doesn't bother anybody, and they keep piling more and more work on them and devoting less and less time to them. Basically, they're taken for granted. And this isn't just the trades. I don't interview hardly any tradespeople. I would say 85, 90% of the people that I interview are not, don't have any experience in the trades. They're just looking to be inspired and they honestly don't care what it is. They want to be connected to something. They want to see the fruits of their labor. And it's completely different out there now. And I was actually having a little uh, crisis of faith because my recruiting efforts, even though we do very novel stuff, we do very artful pictures, we say weird things in our ads, we go to very specific places to find people, I was getting diminishing returns throughout the year. Uh, come come uh, recruiting effort number four or number five, uh, I was putting forth a lot of effort and, and, and getting less and less results through it. And so finally, I was having that little crisis of faith, like, you know what, maybe this crazy novel thing I do, this decent human being thing, the apprenticeship, the uh, coaching, development, leadership, maybe the things that I'm saying are just old and used up now and, and irrelevant or maybe not speaking to people, which is heart disheartening for me. So I really took a lot of time, uh, about a week's worth of ideation, talking to other people uh, to get some perspective, uh, to, to uh, ballast my feelings with data. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to confront this head on. I am going to basically tell people that no more. No more of this bad employer stuff. We are intentional. We know that you think about work differently. We know that you may only be here for six months to three years. We know that you probably, not probably, it's stupid, Nick. We know you care about your family and your friends more than this. We know that you probably look forward to your time away from work more than you look forward to your time at work. And you're not bad because of it. We all do that sort of thing. But let's be intentional. If we need money, we probably have to get a job. If we have to get a job, let's get one where we contribute, where we're connected to something, where we're moving towards something, where you learn a transferable skill, something of something you can take with you that's a value if you ever need it. 
Filling out spreadsheets is okay. I, I talked to a guy who did a accounting. He started off as an assembler in a plant. They moved him, excuse me, <coughs> they moved him into accounting. Uh, for 10 or 15 years, he did accounting for this business. He's great, he's right under the CFO in this company. Never went to school, never got a degree. They laid him off and guess what? There's no transferable skill. Like yes, he has the skill, but he learned it on the job. He can do everything that somebody with a college or a master's degree can do, but he doesn't have that degree. So now it's kind of not worth anything. He's not getting the chances. Having a real transferable skill like this, like leadership, like mastering a craft is amazing. Because if you, if you know this craft, that doesn't just mean you can be a painter or a restorationist somewhere else. That means you can work for a paint company because you have that knowledge. You can be um, a sales rep for a company. You can be a district manager. You can be a store manager. Uh, you can go find a monstrous trades company, a union, and work for them at a very high level and do that stuff too. It's a transferable skill. So no more of this. I directly headed off this feeling and I basically just said, I put a series of videos out that said, we think about work differently too now and we have forever. Our, our proof is that we've been doing a four day work week for over three years. We do all sorts of togetherness, uh, development, training, uh, leadership training, uh, goal setting and review meetings, mentorship, things like that. We've been doing that forever, that's us. And I used to think that all businesses did that. And when I talk to people, it's hard pressed to find businesses that do do that. So now I just confront it head on. We're different and we're not gonna apologize anymore. And you know what? It's, the ads that we put out, the things that we say are a dog whistle and it's only gonna be heard uh, by a certain type of person. And you know what, we're fine with that. We don't want people who want a job where they can hide in a back room and toil away needlessly or, or hide some way uh, and skate by. We want people who are into accountability. That's our, that's our metric. If you like accountability, good, so do we, because you're gonna hold us accountable and we're gonna hold you accountable. So when I, I sit through these interviews, it usually takes five or 10 minutes to shake people from stock answers that I'm really not interested and say something real and, and impassioned. And eventually, uh, most of them do. And the best interviewees ask a lot of questions about me and the business, which is great. It shows that they have some interest. And uh, yeah, the big through line through those things is there are massive amounts of awesome humans out there who are basically being used up, unappreciated, and um, not given any challenges. Any, uh, I, I talked to people who have devoted themselves to culinary stuff. They went to Le Cordon Bleu, the, the prestigious uh, food college, and then they're devoting their life to a lot of this, um, you know, the fine arts of uh, uh, the finer parts of the food industry. And after 10 or 15 years, they're kind of like, you know what? They're still having me work evening shifts, weekend shifts, night shifts, the schedule's all over the place, and they found out I'm competent, and they just keep piling stuff on it. And the owner's not hiring any new people, so they just keep giving work to me. The pay's not really going up, and there's not a, there's not a connection to something in the future. These people legitimately tell me, like that chef, uh, he's like, listen, if this person would just tell me a five-year plan, I could see that, okay, maybe right now it's a little bit taxing, but you know what? Here's the thing that are gonna happen in the next five years to make that different. That guy probably would have stayed there. But because they're basically just saying, yeah, just do more work, and the people aren't talking to them, they're not developing, not training them, not showing them a future, these people leave. Even good people who like the stuff, they're like, I'm not just seeing a future here, I want something else. So I will tell you this, we had an amazing, amazing uh, result from this round of recruiting.
Um, crisis of faith averted. Uh, I was I thought that my decent human being principle and apprenticeship and empathy was <laughs> was over. That I needed to find something else, and it is not. Um, I just need to let people know that we do, and it's really interesting. Probably, I want to say between 125 and 150 applicants for this job, and I'd have to I'd have to uh, dig through them a little more because uh, we we put it out on some very novel things. Uh, we experimented with uh, Snapchat and TikTok, which was pretty wild uh, for recruiting, uh, and we did about seven other things as well too. And I do very uh, as closely as I can uh, closely controlled experiments of this stuff, and uh, yeah, we got an amazing result from this uh, uh, directly telling people that we get it. You think about work differently, and so do we. And it's a comfort, because this is a feeling they have, and it's not backed up by any data out there. The data is, all of a sudden, they see a guy who truly loves his job, is a professional, and saying the same things, that's inspiring. These people weren't looking for paint jobs. Almost nobody I, I talked to was looking for a paint job. They just ran across something on the internet, were inspired, and they started talking to me. So, um, 54 phone interviews this last week. Uh, it'll end up being probably between 20 and 27 in-person interviews next week. And honestly, if nobody's interested or nobody meets our standards, I won't hire anybody. If 15 of those are the best people on earth, guess what's happening? We're gonna make them an offer and bring them in because I'm not taking for granted uh, the decent human beings out there. Um, this isn't for everybody and it shouldn't be, but everybody wants connectedness coaching, development, uh, development, mentoring, leadership training, goal setting and reviews. They want to be part of a mission. They want to work with other like-minded people and they don't want to be taken for granted. So the secret to recruiting, I believe in the next year is going to be lots of effort on us. Uh, number one, you got to be a professional. You got to be willing to put in the work. If you post a free job ad on Craigslist and get no response, congratulations. You have put forth no effort and got no results. You shouldn't be surprised. Um, I put forth about 66 hours of work in the last nine days in order to find people that I want to do this with. Um, very late nights. Uh, my, uh, for my company and my leadership team that saw my schedule, I was running phone interviews every half hour from about eight in the morning till eight at night all week. Um, I want to find decent human beings and I will do lots of things to find them. Um, so in the next year, what I'm telling you, it's not a secret um, place to find these people. It's not a secretly, you know, a subliminal message ad. You gotta be good. You gotta be a professional and you gotta have empathy and not just to sucker them in, to get them in. You truly need to believe in empathy and then take care of your people forever. It never stops. There isn't a time where it's like, well, got them in trained. We got that whole connectedness thing out of our way. Now they're just going to work forever with no input from me for the rest of their lives. You need to be willing to devote an enormous amount of time to connectedness within your people. And we're seeing amazing results with ours. Uh, the joyfulness, the cheer, the happiness that our people go out there and take care of our clients with is remarkable. It's just remarkable. And, uh, but it takes a lot of effort. That effort, I am 100% happy uh, to give. And that is a big revelation I've had probably in the last 12 months that has really solidified it. We've been dancing around it for at least five or six years. Um, it's been a thought in my head, but uh, as a business leader and the way I was trained in this, 
you know, you think, oh, this soft touch, this empathy, this caring, this connectedness, you could easily see a scenario where you're a sucker and people prey upon that. But you know what? Um, people don't prey upon that. They want that. I mean, think about, think about your personal relationships, your significant other, your spouse. You're not a sucker if you empathize with them and care about them. It's different, obviously, with employees, but it's same in a lot of ways too. And it's sort of one of those no-down moments. It's like, of course, golden rule stuff. Treat others how you want to be treated. Uh, lead with empathy. Coach, develop. Give people a chance. And yeah, that's it. So let's see what we got here for uh, some questions. Man, thank you everybody for watching. I really do appreciate this. Do, 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 do. Oh, hey everybody, how's it going? Uh, Joran Vanderberg from across the pond, good to see you. Brandon, shop manager Brandon, good to see you, man. Thanks for watching. Let's see what else we got here. Oh, Brady, Brady, well done, man. Leader of the year, Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration, Leader of the Year, Brady Davis, amazing craftsperson. Thanks for watching, man. Mark Blackhurst, Nick Slavic, I'm working on this beautiful Saturday. Oh, man. Um, it's fun to practice the craft. Um, it's a little less fun to practice on a Saturday uh, if you're forced to do it, but I, I get you, man. It's good out there. Uh, hopefully you got the sound in the background. Uh, listening away. Um, Metatron, we need more union shops. Um, interestingly enough, uh, I met with the, I, I'm going to not use the right words, I-A-U-Pat. There's whatever, the, the finishing trades in the United States, uh, they got this beautiful multi-million dollar training facility right up the road from me. And uh, Jason Paris and I, on behalf of the PCA, uh, were invited to go um, tour the facility. And historically, um, what we do, the private sector and unions, don't normally get along well because uh, we've had a sordid history in the past. I haven't, I don't care. I don't have any of this head trash about that. I'm interested in people who are devoted to apprenticeship and training, and guess what? The union are some of the best people in the country. Huge problem though. They only serve the municipal, the commercial, and the industrial side of what we do. Um, there are very, very few residential union painters. They exist, yes, I know they exist, but it's not like the past. And uh, we heard tales of in the 70s and 80s, all the new homes being put up were basically being painted by union painters, these monstrous union painter shops. They have this beautiful training facility where over the course of three years, you put in a certain hundred, hundreds of hours of training there and they're very specific things. They have virtual reality lifts that you can get into a 3D world immersed where you're in a virtual reality lift and doing safety training. At the end of that, they are an accredited higher learning uh, institution where you can actually get a college degree from the time you put in with the union. Problem is, they don't serve the residential world. So yes, I agree. I am doing almost exactly what the union is. I don't have these multi-million dollar 3D lift things. We actually just send our people to lift training, but we have a training facility. We have two scale, mock, bedroom, bathroom, two kitchens, stairwell, door, windows, everything else that we train our people on. We are intentional about training, just like the union. I'm not an accredited higher learning thing though. We give them a transferable skill, but how great would it be to be accredited? And now I know there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes along with that. I've been trying to get my apprenticeship program accredited with the state for years. It's not easy, folks. And uh, there's the, normally you would get accredited with a state so that uh, they send you apprentices or connect you with apprentices. And then the, the state gives you funding as well to cover the added cost. And then they have, a at the end of it, a transferable apprenticeship, a skill that is recognized elsewhere. The problem is private sector isn't a good fit for that. 
and it's not set up to do that. And uh, the state, the last time I checked into it, does not even give you incentives in the private sector for what we're doing. Like, yeah, we'll certify your program, but you know, the union gets the incentives. We're gonna help them pay for that. But you in the private sector, the union takes care of it. Don't worry, we don't have any incentives for you. No harm, no foul, but that's the, that's the thing we're doing. So we need more union shops, fine. If you wanna paint water towers and schools and Walmarts, that's fine. But if, you, if somebody wants their living room painted, it's likely not gonna be by a union painter. And uh, it'd be great to bridge that gap because they are legitimately world-class trainers, and so are we. And we would uh, we would like to be a higher uh, accredited, higher learning institution as well, too. So Metatron, I hope that helps. Uh, Justin, what's a union shop? Just that, which is basically you're part of a uh, a, a large. It's kind of like how people buy health insurance. This is a real bastardization, but you get in a big group, so you have group buying power to buy this health insurance. So you're not buying it one on one. Labor. I'm not a labor economist, obviously, right? But groups of laborers get together, so they have bargaining power with their employers to demand higher wages. Now, what you're gonna find is, the typical thing is the unions are like, oh yeah, we pay our people 38, 48 bucks an hour, but what you need to know is that a lot of that comes out in, um, in union dues and things like that, a large portion of that. Like, yes, they have benefits, yes, they have training, yes, they have that, but, it's not all perfect, otherwise everybody would be a union painter. Understand that you're gonna be doing commercial and industrial painting, and that's not for everybody. Those are construction sites, and a lot of times they're in the big inner cities, uh, in the urban areas too, and that's tough. That's a, that's a different working environment than me brushing on beautiful enamel in a lived-in house uh, you know, to do fine finishes. That's normally not done. Um, also, a big surprise for me, and this is not me saying anything bad about the unions, it's not for me. Uh, we, like the, we like the private sector here, but I admire the union for what they do well. Problem is, I interview quite a few union painters who are laid off a lot of the winter. And yes, your $38 sounds like a lot of money until you're not working for three or four months out of the year. And then guess what? It's not that much money. Um, I thought it, in the past, I had thought that one of the benefits is, well, yeah, if you join the union, you have a job all the time. And uh, but you get tossed around through shops a lot. I mean, labor is transferable. So you may be tossed around uh, every couple of weeks between different places, different job sites and different companies uh, where you don't know anybody. So again, tons of pluses, tons of minuses, just like the private sector. There's risk and rewards in everything we do. <coughs> oh, let's see what we got here. Uh, Chris, Sherist, how's it going, man? Uh, Pretty Pale is the best. Yeah, dude, they're great, man. I love that stuff. Uh, Gustavo, I'm honestly tired of hearing there's no good people. Likewise, it's a lazy excuse. The people before a global pandemic were complaining about this. There's no good people. And then COVID came along and then they said, well, COVID caused no good people. And then now people are saying, well, now it's that it's all that uh, unemployment that people are getting that, that there's the reason no good people. There was a study and I had this in one of my master's classes where um, I think it was 22 or 25 states really quickly in quick succession got rid of the COVID unemployment thing and they studied it to see what the effect was of people going back to work. Only one in eight persons went back to work after the emergency unemployment was done. So that tells you unemployment isn't what holding people back either. Uh, it, it's something else. <laughs> and honestly, right now they say up to 66% uh, of all people with jobs are actively looking for another job right now because people think about work differently. That's kind of an interesting thing. 
Yeah, Gustavo, I didn't, I didn't see that comment. That's exactly it, man. Honestly, I'll give you guys a data point, uh, one that is probably unsatisfying, but the more professional you are as a company, the less problems you have with finding labor. And honestly, the most professional companies that sort of I look up to and, and, and help mentor me don't have problem finding labor right now. Honestly, that is a truth. That is a truth. All right. Oh, let's see what we got here. Oh, here we go. Mark Woolham. What advancement opportunities do your people have beyond being a painter? If they wanted uh, an opportunity for your leadership team, do you offer that? Yes, they have to earn it. Uh, these are not given. Yeah, it's commonly people think um, that, hey, uh, an advancement in the painting world is not painting. And I don't believe that at all. I have an incentive structure um, where my painters make more than my leadership team uh, in a lot of ways. Um, and there's different incentives there too because I understand what it takes to master this craft. Now, here's what has to happen for somebody to move up to my leadership team. They gotta be good at their job. This isn't one of those things like, hey, I toiled around, I don't really hit my budgets, but I'm a good guy. Um, the next thing I want is to be on Nick's trusted group of people to help run the business. Like, no, first we're good at our jobs, always and we're problem solvers, and we're self-directed. We can, we can move on the spot, we take care of our clients, we, we take care of things, we've earned the trust in order to do that. Then there's an, a next level of opportunity, but you have to understand, Mark, that with every advancement, it's not just, I've been here so many years, I get something. When you move from a painter to the leadership team in my company, there is a different risk and reward profile. Uh, my painters really don't have any risk. If, if uh, <coughs> Recently, we got some paint on a couch. Guess what? That person got paid. They didn't have to pay for the couch. I'll pay for the couch. There's no risk in what they do. If they don't hit a budget on a job, they still get paid. Um, many budgets not hit, and that's another story. Uh, then they may lose their job, but there's no risk uh, to our painters down there. Now, if you wanna be part of the leadership team, you have to have the personality that's willing to risk a little. So now we move into salary plus bonus, which is if you underperform, you will actually get paid less in my leadership team. But if you overperform, that's where you make huge gains in, in personal and professional life. So you have to be open to that. You have to say, well, listen, I don't feel like making that extra phone call at night in order to make a job going well. It's like, well, then your pay will be affected by it. And you have to be open to that. You have to be able to risk. You have to be able to invest in yourself to do that. Now, one thing I don't speak very openly about is this little freedom machine is basically a trust tester for me. Um, I know that to accomplish the things that I would like to accomplish in life, I'm gonna need other people around me. And how do you pick the right people? Well, this company is a farm team for trust. When the painters are trustworthy and they show leadership skills and they're able to risk and reward and be able to uh, uh, do the extra work in order to get a reward, they move to a leadership team. And for people in the leadership team that are stellar at their jobs, self-starting, the inner trusted people, they, they, uh, they detect patterns, they stop problems before they happen. Um, they're dependable, consistency, they share, uh, consistent, they share the same core values. These are people that I will invest in things outside of this company. And that's actively what I'm looking for. People who, uh, again, from the leadership team, I want people who will have a different risk and reward profile to then partner with me for life in other things where we can do interesting financial things uh, together. But utmost trust. Um, 
I have an LLC. I have a little holdings company that I do that with myself right now. Uh, I want to do it with other people. And basically, it's my trust factory. Uh, the people who earn my utmost trust, um, I would like to do those things outside of that. So really, Mark, the opportunity is, you know, uh, we have a six-year plan for, uh, for craftspeople in my company to come in with no experience. And at the end of six years, basically get the equivalent of about a month and a week, maybe five weeks off of paid time off, health insurance, retirement, and total compact, uh, excuse me, total comp package over $70,000. And that's one of those things that I use to recruit, which is we have a vision, we have a plan, and it will be very good for you if you stay with us, especially now. Getting in now to what we're doing is going to be way better than getting in five years from now. It's going to be awesome. So hope that helps, Mark. Uh, Metatron, most apprenticeships are just OSHA run safety classes. Maybe. Uh, there are a bunch of people like us out here that are doing very intentional training and not just uh, on a two-week onboarding thing. There's a whole bunch of people who basically for the life of somebody here, there's constant training, coaching, mentoring. Um, starting in two weeks, we're actually having a formal, this is the first time we've ever done this in our company, we're doing formal leadership training uh, for everybody who wants it in the company. We're going to be meeting every two weeks and we're going to be reading a series of books that have inspired me. We're going to be talking through IDSing, Identify, Discuss, and Solving Issues. We're going to be putting personal and professional goals out there and holding each other accountable to it. So it's the next level. Again, this is my trust farm. This is the thing where for the people who want to do that, if they do want advancement in the company, it's going to be a pretty good way to get it. And if you ever want to do something like that with me, that's you know, that's the investment in yourself that you're going to have to do in order to do that. So Jesse Allen, inspiring as always. Uh, it's a new day and we need new ways. Uh, really looking forward to implementing some of these hiring. Let's see if I can expand that. How important is a dedicated training facility and onboarding opposed to on-site? <laughs> I would be a hypocrite if I told you that you must have a training facility. You must have all this for 13 years in this business, we did not have that. I've only recently had this in the last six months to a year. So we've trained every single person on site. You do not need that. Don't let a training facility um, uh, be the excuse. Honestly, use your own dang house. You got bedrooms, you got bathrooms, bring your people in there and train them. I mean, we've trained on people's houses too. We, we practice quiet professionalism, so we're not running through somebody's house saying, hey, this is my first day here, we've never done this. There's ways that you could do this, but honestly, in the past too, if we've if we've needed something, we've said, hey, who wants two bedrooms painted for free? And then you just take that week and paint some bedrooms and bring your people in there and they know what they're getting into. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's Jesse, it's not, <laughs> it's not, um, not important also, but I will say the most important thing is all this unsexy mundane stuff, which is you got to have a job description. You got to have deliverables. You got to have a pay scale. You got to have an employee uh, manual. You got to have all those things, uh, pay scale, I think I said, but you got to show them what's available to them. And I don't, let me see if I got. Yeah, so this is something that um, I codified this last year. This was always in place. I just did a better version of it, which is you start here on day one. Here's the end of six years, and this shows you exactly these little boxes, these competencies, what exactly you have to do to earn over $70,000 as a master craftsperson in my company. It's all laid out there. There's a certain uh, uh, budgets you have to hit, there's quality standards, and you have to be able to do certain tasks, but it's all laid out there. 
uh, for people. So there's no ambiguousness of, I've been here a year, I feel like I deserve another dollar, and then the boss says, I don't think you've earned that extra dollar, we need to see improvement, but there's no metric-based things. In my company, it's like, how many jobs did you do? How many of them hit their budget? How many callbacks did you get on there? What type of jobs were they? Are, can you do historic racing, uh, restoration? Can you do large trim jobs? Can you do decks, exteriors, things like that? So it's very, very straightforward. Justin, we are working on that accreditation, uh, though we are small. Yeah. Also, there's going to be some really cool resources from the PCA. So they have trade best practices, which is like a great overview into the industry. And this last week, they they did uh, they announced uh, and released the painter training stuff which is amazing. They're taking the Craftsman operating procedures, the COPs, kind of like SOPs, that have been developed by people with hundreds of years of experience in the trades. Uh, and they've been developing over these last couple decades into the finer points of the craft and actually making videos on each point of them. So that's a resource for you for training. Um, also, what's really interesting, uh, uh, Jason Paris and I, he's the chair of the board of the PCA. I'm the vice chair. Our big initiative is paint business owner training. So not only just learning how to paint, we believe that the paint business owners, like I said at the start of this, we need to be better. People are looking at us and they don't like what they see. So let's train the, the, let's train the paint business owners. So look forward to that very shortly. I'm seeing a lot of union talk. I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not gonna get into the union stuff, guys. You can do, uh, uh, da, 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 da. You guys can discuss that. Uh, to me, it's not union good, union bad. It's union doesn't touch what we do. So it's almost like another industry completely. So I'm completely agnostic to all of it. And uh, honestly, I'm, in, I'm impressed by their training and I'm inspired by it. And I wish we could do more like that. I wish we could do more with them, but they don't touch our industry. So yeah. Jesse Allen, see you in Orlando. All right, guys. That's enough. I've spoken long enough here. Is our trim dry? Our trim is dry. <laughs> Let's see if we can get a good shot of this stuff here. So, Trim, trim, trim. Oh man, that's beautiful. Look at that stuff. Beautiful stuff, guys. All right, so thanks everybody for watching. I really do appreciate it. Have a good rest of the Saturday and we'll see you guys later. Paint Ed Podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.